What does it take to create a world-class collection? A good eye, a forward thinker, or just being in the right place at the right time? Welcome to On Collecting, a Monocle 24 production for Sotheby's, where I, Chiara Rimella, will lead you through some of the world's most exciting collections in art, fashion, furniture and beyond. We'll be looking at collections that have defined eras and informed the cultural canon, and we'll learn about the people behind them. In this episode, we're taking a look at the collection of the late Irving and Joyce Wolfe. The Wolfs were pioneers in oil and gas, building the Wolfland Company and Inexco Oil Company from the ground up. But they were also passionate collectors, specialising in American art and design. The couple amassed an incredible collection of over 1,000 objects and pieces of art that lived with them in their Fifth Avenue apartment in New York City. Here's Monocle's New York radio correspondent, Henry Ree Sheridan, who meets Irving and Joyce Wolfe's son, Matthew Wolfe, to tell the story of how they met and what sparked their collection. Joyce Mandel and Irving Wolfe met in 1951. Irving was raised in Cheyenne, Wyoming, whereas Joyce grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Despite their distant upbringings, sparks must have flown when they met, because within just 17 days, Joyce proposed to Irving. It was the beginning of a seven-decade-long partnership that would produce one of the most remarkable collections of arts and crafts in the United States. But according to their son Matthew, when they got married, Irving and Joyce hadn't begun collecting yet. Their collection only began to come together when the family moved to Denver, Colorado. Here, Joyce and Irving began to collect Navajo rugs, pottery and jewellery from sales in the Navajo Nation. But it was only after moving north to New York City that Irving and Joyce collecting began to take off in a serious way. Here's Matthew. When they came to New York City in the early 1970s, the whole world opened up to them and they started to see other beautiful things to collect. And it started with Hudson River paintings, then early American furniture, Chinese export porcelain, American bronzes, and their collecting just exploded from then to a point where right now the collection has over 1,100 items. My parents had joint and individual collections. And what I mean by that is my mother loved the early American furniture and my father trusted her. So if she wanted to collect something, buy something, uh, he would have total faith. My father loved the American bronzes and my mother really didn't participate in that in any way. My father also loved the Chinese export porcelain. My mother loved the American decorative arts and they both loved beautiful jewelry. And so there were places where they collected together. Also, they collected American paintings and drawings together, but they were also had their own areas where they collected and the other person had total confidence in what they were collecting. 
Containing fine examples of English silver and Chinese export ceramics, the Wolf family collection can't be described as provincial. But the core of the collection is an array of American arts, furniture, and design objects, which, taken together, tell a comprehensive story of the artistic and industrial development of the nation from the 18th through to the 20th centuries. Were Irving and Joy conscious of the historical significance of their collection as they assembled it, or was its documentary value just an accident of them following their own tastes? I think a little bit of both. I always remember my mother in her early American furniture collection saying, "I need a great Philadelphia highboy, or I need a New York chest," and so she was focused on putting together a comprehensive collection. My father was a little;、um, he collected a little bit more deep, in the sense that if he found an artist, a sculptor that he enjoyed, he would buy many of that artist's work. But I think overall, they recognized that what they were doing over a period of time, either buying deep or buying broad, was putting together a collection that showed the beauty and the craftsmanship. That comes from America alone. Anyone can appreciate the historical and aesthetic value of the Wolf family collection, but for Matthew, it must have special emotional value. Considering what the collection represents in terms of his parents' tastes and energies, he's sanguine about letting it go. I'm often asked, "How do I deal with selling all of these items?" and It's very interesting in the sense that I was worried about. I've always been thinking about my responsibility in divesting the collection, and was a little bit concerned about how I was going to deal with it. But then, not too long ago, I read a story, and the story coincidentally was in a Sotheby's catalog. One of the Patino families was putting up her remarkable collection of emeralds that she had inherited over the years. And the emeralds were going to go to her son. However, her son was killed in an accident, and she was putting she put the emeralds up for sale to fund her son's favorite causes. And she explained that with every object, there is a time to own it and a time to let it go to the next group of people who will love it. And who will appreciate it, and who will cherish it for the next period of time, and so I adopted that instantly, and feel proud and excited to see where they will go next. This collection embodies the spirit of American artistry, craftsmanship, and design from the 18th century onwards. To shed some light on what's in the collection and why it's so important. I'm joined by Jody Pollack, senior vice president and co-worldwide head of 20th century design at Sotheby's. I think the Wolf story is very distinct, where they really are like the perfect example of the American dream. You know, they built an amazing legacy for their own family, both professionally and also in in the area of collecting art. I mean, that was obviously a great source of joy and passion. Um, not only for Irv and Joy, but for all of their children that eventually participated in in this endeavor with them. And I think they saw the intrinsic beauty of American art in all of the different disciplines of the decorative arts. And I always got the sense they were very proud and delighted to really focus their energies on 
the full range of art and, and decorative arts of, of, of America. And again, I think that that naturally dovetails with their own story, their own history of what they were able to build for themselves and their family in this country. I don't think it's coincidental that, you know, they started collecting and focusing on 18th century Americana. When you're in the great room of the 965th Avenue apartment, there's just this like sense of timelessness. There's an aura standing in that room and you really feel like you're in one of the great period rooms of the Metropolitan Museum or of Winterthur. You know, it's, it's very profound, it's very spiritual. Every single room has hundreds of objects. And I think, you know, just walking through the rooms, you immediately appreciate this isn't a collection that was put together overnight or that one could do today. This is decades of collecting. And you could see the love and passion that went into this endeavor when you're standing in the great room or the dining room. It's really reflective of their taste. You've spoken a bit already about the fact that this is a collection that you have come to appreciate by walking through the rooms of the apartment. I wonder how different is it to collect for pieces that are meant to be lived with as opposed to just shown on a wall? What kind of influence do you think that type of reasoning has on the way that people collect? Well, I think that sort of changes with every generation. I think when the wolves were actively collecting in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, they were looking to be very comprehensive and they were so focused. They, they really did a deep dive into every market, every genre that they were focused on, whether it was American bronzes or, or it was Chinese export porcelain. And I think when you look back over those decades, there was definitely a penchant for collectors, I think, to delve very deep into very focused areas, whether it was an area of 18th century American furniture or, you know, a specific genre of American art, or for that matter, you know, um, an, an interior entirely dedicated to American arts and crafts. People were collecting more in silos and were very, very comprehensive, where their interiors reflected a very specific genre or period of time in the arts. I think today that has really opened up and people are much more eclectic about how they're approaching collecting. And I think decorating is much more, you know, front of mind as they explore this endeavor. That doesn't mean that I I, I think when the Wolves were, were, were doing this, some of the rooms I think are very, um, very formal and much more sort of didactic where, you know, I go back to that to that, you know, parallel of like, you know, being in the period room at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you know, you get that, that feel when you're sitting in their great room. But then there are rooms that are very intimate and very cozy. Their study, for instance, which has, you know, fantastic um, American art and bronzes and, you know, upholstered furniture with, with wonderful textures and, and patterns of fabric and Tiffany lighting and books from their, from their library you know, encircling the bookshelves around the room. It's a, it, it gives you a, a very sort of warm, cozy feel. And you can tell that they, you know, hung out in that room. They probably spent, you know, more time in that room than in the great room or their dining room. Well, what about your favorites? If you could pick a few lots from the sale, what would be your picks? There's a glorious Tiffany leaded glass lily chandelier in the foyer when you enter the wolf apartment. Every time that I see this piece, it really just brings me to my knees. I just think the design, the workmanship, 
just the ambient glow from the piece is is absolutely glorious. And, you know, it's one that you can't miss. It's it's the first thing that you see when you enter the residence. But, you know, the more time that I've spent with the collection and, and the more time that I have studied this piece, I've come to recognize that its color palette, it ranges from um, these fiery oranges to golden tones. It sort of evokes the sense of a sunset. And I really believe that it speaks to the color palette of the Wolf's collection because you see these same sunsets in so many of the landscape paintings um, throughout the collection. And I don't think it's coincidental as well that so many of the wall treatments throughout the apartment show these same tones of yellows and golds and oranges. So, you know, Joy loved these warm color palettes. And I think that piece just brings everything together. It kind of speaks to the entire collection. Among the many incredible artefacts up for sale in the auction are several works by the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. To tell us more about the significance of them is Charlotte Fiel, design historian and author. For me, as a design historian whose first love is arts and crafts, it's the 20th century design pieces that really stand out in the sale. They're extraordinary. I mean, the Frank Lloyd Wright panel that is actually the earliest Frank Lloyd Wright piece in the sale is really quite something. It was designed for the B. Harley Bradley house, which was the very, very first prairie house that Frank Lloyd Wright designed. So it's super important in his career. Located on the banks of the beautiful Kanakee River in Illinois, the Bradley House was constructed between 1900 and 1901, I think, um, as a Gesamtkunstwerk. And that means a total work of art. So he not only designed the building, but he designed everything in it, all its furniture and fittings, to create this complete unified whole. And it was all about designing in a very human-centric way that was also in harmony with the environment surrounding it. Indeed, the Bradley House was so influential in its composition, echoing the linearity of the surrounding prairie landscapes, it's now credited as actually changing the face of American architecture at that turn of the century. So to have a piece from there is pretty exceptional. This wonderful stained glass panel with its warm hues It recalls the geometric patterns of traditional Navajo rugs. This panel is really a a distillation of an American expression of national romanticism. This is American to its core, and it's by right the greatest American architect who ever lived. So what's not to like? One of the most beautiful things, I think, in the sale that's coming up is this incredible chandelier for the Francis W. Little House in Peoria, Illinois, which again was a really super key, important commission for Wright when he was just starting out as a young architect. This prairie school house, however, reps a sort of evolutionary step on in that it has a much stronger sense of reductivist geometry and that was because Wright was looking at Japanese interiors and specifically the use of screens and even the 
the chandelier itself sort of echoes that vibe. It has this wonderful sort of complex grid of intersecting squares and rectangles overhanging this central sort of cubic shade in this sort of wonderful mustard brown glass. And when electrified, it must have seemed sort of wondrous in the day. I mean, you've got to sort of go back and realise lighting was very much a newfangled invention. And so architects and designers were were really experimenting with lighting, especially of how to showcase this wondrous thing. And this lantern really is a wondrous thing. If it was mine, I'd want to build a little tea house around it and just sort of almost worship it. It's so beautiful. So, yes, I mean, there are the stunning things. To have these pieces, yes, they're beautiful pieces, but they also embody quite a lot of the philosophy behind the arts and crafts movement. The vase, in particular, would have been, you're talking about a Gesemtkunst work, it echoes the architecture of the house it was designed for, but also it would have been used to create these incredible naturalistic arrangements of branches and flowers on a pretty large scale. It would help bring the natural landscape into the house. And that's another thing with Wright. There's a lot of not only open plan space, but also light filtering space, a lot of use of screens, in his own house and studio in Oak Park, there's even a tree growing <laughs> in the midst of it. I mean, it is definitely being in tune with nature and the environment. And my God, how relevant is that for today? The Wool Family Collection auction sales begin on Wednesday the 19th of April. Head to Sotheby's.com for more information. On Collecting is a Monocle 24 production for Sotheby's, produced by Holly Fisher and presented by me, Chiara Rimella. Join us next time when we'll be introduced to more groundbreaking collections and the extraordinary people who put them together. <laughs>